You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Greetings and welcome to Domecast, the news and observer and NC Insider politics podcast. I'm Don Vaughn here with Will Doring, Colin Campbell, and Daniel Battaglia. And this is our 200th episode of Domecast. When I say our, I don't mean mine, but I believe one of us was here for the very first one and maybe the majority of the 200. Um, That would be you, Colin, if you want to uh, tell our listeners who haven't been around all 200 rounds, um, what's the deal here? Yeah, so I think I'm like the last uh, remaining cast member that's still on Domecast, I guess, five years later. I think we started this in spring of 2015, so well ahead of the... 2016 election cycle. Uh, we were recording on really cheap, crappy microphones around a boardroom table at the old News and Observer building and trying to figure out how on earth a bunch of print journalists could become podcasters when podcasting was just starting to take off. And uh, somehow we've continued this. A lot of the, the cast members have gone on to bigger and better things or more political things, as the case may be, for uh, some of our, our former uh, cohorts, and I think the only remaining original cast member at the News and Observer is Lynn Bonner, who's uh, no longer doing the political stuff, so hasn't been on lately. But uh, yeah, that's the the weird and exciting history of Domecast. I'm excited to have done this 200 times in a row. It's more of a commitment than I usually make to anything work-related. So Colin, um, of those hundreds of uh, episodes, were any more memorable, entertaining than others? I know that you interviewed Clay Aiken who I've also interviewed, but it was when uh, I covered entertainment, not politics, although they are similar topics. What do you yeah, I think Clay Aiken may have been the only celebrity interview on Domecast. Um, he had actually requested to be on Domecast because it turns out he was a fan. Uh, this was after he had run for office um, and um, was still, I guess, interested in North Carolina politics. Um, but other than that, I don't know if there's been any hugely memorable ones. The the farewells to departing coworkers are always... Uh, entertaining. Um, I think there was once a dome cast where someone took a shot um, because there was uh, alcohol in the old in and o building on our last day of, uh, of working at that particular site. Um, so that was memorable. But yeah, other than that, I think those were the, the big ones that stick out. Speaking of alcohol, um, the uh, current state of our state and country makes one want to drink. Um, and our legislature is uh, going to be soon trying to do something about fixing it. Danielle, you wrote about that recently. Um, what's Colin talking about? I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, they, they're coming back in a session on April 28th. And so, you know, yesterday we looked at, I want to say, a 37-page draft bill on, I don't know how many organizations have asked for money or changes in laws or anything like that. So they're looking at um, things like, can we hire private security guards to watch over the prisons with the correctional officers and what kind of um, force are they allowed to use there. They're looking at, God, it was a huge laundry list of different asks that they had. A lot of it was money related right now um, with the continuity state, which is who I covered yesterday in their draft bill. There was no money involved in what they were trying to give to different organizations, but they're just looking basically at what laws need to be changed because of COVID-19. So let's talk about next week. And we're, you know, a few days away from uh, when Cooper's original stay-at-home executive order ends. Um, by the time you listen to this, maybe that could change since he said that uh, he would announce this week um, 
if that's going to be extended, lifted, what the deal is. But the legislature is still coming back Tuesday, whether or not they're all in the building or not is to be determined. Uh, I believe it was Representative McGrady the other day um, who had posted something saying that it would be um, filing the bills and the meeting the first day or two, at least on the House side. Um, as probably those of you who are Domecast fans know, the House has already been meeting in committee for about a month now, I think, or almost a month. Uh, we talked about that last time, what they've been doing. The Senate has supposedly been meeting, but out of the public view, although Senate Democrats last week on Friday in a press call or after the press call, they sent it to us and Republicans and the governor what their uh, plans within the caucus have been. It really just looks pretty similar to what the bipartisan House committees are doing. So we don't know a whole lot about what's going on in the Senate. Uh, Republicans in the Senate sent, you know, all signed a big letter to Cooper um, this week wanting to know what Cooper's plan is, what the data is. And it's interesting for a political party, which nationally is pretty um, critical, I would say, of the press, um, especially their leader. Um, and they are asking for things that the press always asks for, which is more information and more data. So we're kind of in the, um, I don't watch Stranger Things, but I can say that the reference of we're in the upside down is somewhat relevant in the sense of we are the upside down smiley face emoji now because everything we expect to be is different than it is. Um, though I think some of that's ending is also the bipartisanship aspect is ending um, what do you think about, um, Wills? You've been writing a lot about unemployment, things that you know that, that both chambers can agree on and, and might actually accomplish next week or in two weeks or whatever. Yeah, um, the money issue and the relief is the big question. You know, obviously Congress came out at the federal level with these, uh, you know, several rounds of stimulus package spending uh, that's going to help people with unemployment, that's going to help small businesses getting loans, things like that. Um, but there have been a lot of calls for the legislature to do something to basically add on to what Congress is doing. Um, you know, it was a pretty big national story. The, the small business loans that Congress approved ran out of money basically immediately. Um, I saw uh, in North Carolina, it was something like not even 40% of like the eligible payroll of workers uh, who, you know, whose companies would have been eligible for those loans got it. Um, so, you know, only around barely more than a third here uh, were covered by those loans. So people have been asking the legislature to do more on that. Um, the Golden Leaf Foundation, which is um, uh, a private group that often works with state government on, uh, on business issues, particularly in rural areas, uh, they have already started giving out some money in small business loans. And the House is talking about uh, ramping that up pretty significantly. Um, they have done around, I think it's around $15 million already. Um, and the House is now talking about adding an extra $75 million into that program for small business loans around the state, um, which would be a, a pretty big, obviously, cash injection um, for, for businesses here who need that help, um, you know, in just being able to pay their rent, pay their utilities, pay loans on equipment, in addition to obviously paying their payroll and keeping their people on staff. Um, and then there's also the issue of unemployment, um, which, you know, I've been writing about extensively. It's been a whole mess, but 
starting to get better. Um, the unemployment office is ramping up its staffing. They've gone from 500 workers statewide for coronavirus to around 1,600 now. Uh, at the end of this week, they're going to have over 1,000 people just answering the phones. Um, they're getting 80,000 phone calls a day on average. So, you know, <laughs> people like us, who were, you know, we're like, oh my gosh, we get so many phone calls. But no, we do not get 80,000 a day. Um, so they, you know, certainly have their work cut out for them over there. Um, and the, the application for the, the federal unemployment benefits for people who get denied for the state benefits, that's going to open up later this week too. So that's going to create a whole new crush on the, uh, the system as Uber drivers, as hairstylists, uh, farmers, people who work for churches, anyone else who's self-employed, a freelancer, independent contractor, all those types of people who don't normally qualify for state-run unemployment uh, but could get these federal funds, they're going to all start logging onto that system. And then you also have these questions of, okay, well, the state has $4 billion surplus in its own unemployment fund. What should it do to maybe spend some of that money and help out people who you know wouldn't normally qualify for state unemployment aid to actually be able to get that you know whether that's temporary change or permanent change obviously that's going to be something that lawmakers talk about but you know I, I think everyone agrees that that's going to be a topic of conversation here. One thing that has come up in the House committee meetings um, and through an email that was sent um, from within the building to senators is that the state's not going to have a lot of money for all these things. Um, and the you know, Republicans who have always played it conservatively financially, um, you know, have, there is money, you know, that they can, maybe if they hadn't allotted it, um, that can go towards some of this, but it's still not going to be enough. Um, so a lot of what they've been saying on the House side anyway, is that we want something. And when the Senate Democrats held their press conference that, we, we want something that um, that everyone is going to agree on. So uh, I laughed there for a minute because there are suddenly two Colin Campbells on my screen. As you all, I'm sure, have figured out, we're obviously not all in one room, less than a foot from each other, because that would be against the rules with social distancing and also a really dumb idea. Uh, so we are doing this via Zoom call and recording. And thank you to Clifton Darrell, uh, the insider, for... Um, getting this uh, set up for us these weeks as we, um, to quote Rumsfeld, go to war with the army we have, not the army we wish we had. Uh, Colin, speaking of that, what um, from what you've been covering lately and what we are looking at next week, since you've covered previous sessions, um, you know, what are kind of the having to just deal with what we've got aspects of the legislature do you think is really going to come out and maybe some stress points among the different lawmakers um, when we when they gather together next week, or sparsely anyway. Yeah, I think that's going to be the trick uh, going forward. Is there's these committees have had so many requests for monetary support from cities and county governments, from the restaurant community, from retail merchants, other people who uh, and organizations who really need some kind of financial support to get through this. Um, and unlike the federal government that can put together a stimulus package worth trillions of dollars um, in you know, deficit spending, the state has to keep a balanced budget. So the pressure point is going to be revenues are declining dramatically for sales tax and other things. Um, 
So they're starting to project, you know, potential budget deficits, even after you spend the money that didn't get spent by not having a budget this year that got put into the rainy day fund and is available. Um, even after that, there still may not be enough money to go around. So I think that's going to be a pressure point. Um, so I think short term, you're going to see stuff that doesn't necessarily cost as much um, outside of maybe the small business loans, um, just because they're worried about how much revenue they're going to have to pay for any of this stuff. Um, and then unlike in previous sessions where they normally do some form of budget in April and May, there's talk now that the budget part of things could come back in June or July or August um, when they have better sense of the revenue picture. And at that point, you know, they got to figure out, you know, are they cutting services? Um, are they trying to stimulate per- certain parts of the economy that need it? Um, and it's going to be a challenging balancing act because we've had um, pretty generous revenue uh, streams the last few years as the economy has been good and they've had the ability to um, fund a lot of the things that they want to do. And that's not going to be the case going forward, um, at least for the the short term. Um, So I think that's going to mean that some of the bipartisanship we've seen so far may start to crumble as, as people, you know, have differing priorities and there's just not a whole lot of money to go around. So while Republicans have been wanting more of a plan and more data from the governor, um, you know, they will also need to come up with their own plan next week with what, you know, we've been saying about what they've got to do that's going to have this bipartisan consensus and how much money there is. And it's not even, there's going to be less tax revenue and the tax revenue is all going to be three months late too. So they're kind of flying blind a little bit financially um, when they come back next week. But um, again, it appears to be that they're just going to come in and do what they have to do for coronavirus with the money that they know they have and then come back, you know, toward the end of the summer and figure out budget stuff um, when they have more of an idea of how bad the situation is. But as everybody knows, there was a protest with several hundred people downtown uh, this week of people wanting kind of a mix of don't like the stay-at-home order at all, want it lifted when it expires, um, want it lifted immediately, or, um, you know, they're just, just unhappy in general about having these restrictions in place to control the, the spread of the virus. So that's going to have some political factor in this, depending on who they would prefer to vote for. Those politicians that were there um, were Republicans, not Democrats. Obviously, um, supporters are looking to them for for answers, and that, that could also be some of why they're um, questioning Cooper now when everybody's been pretty more or less unified, I would think, if you guys agree on that um, for the past month or so. Um, any last thoughts before we, I guess we should bring back our headliner of the week. Um, the headliner, of course, everybody knows is coronavirus. But within that, so we'll be back with headliner of the week. We're back with Headliner of the week, and uh, as of course we all know, coronavirus is the constant headliner and will be part of every headline um, for a long time coming because the impact will be widespread. Uh, My headliner of the week is related peripherally to that. Uh, It's the announcement this week from the House that they are actually going to have their own video streaming of floor sessions. It's a miracle. I cannot believe it. That is my headliner. They have joined what local governments have managed to do for years and years and years. And now our state government, or one chamber anyway, 
is actually going to do that too. So the public can see what their elected officials are doing. So that's my headliner. I'm very excited about it. Danielle, who's your? I'm going to say that we are starting the short session next week because some behind the scenes, Colin had rushed me in in December slash January to the job to cover what was supposed to be a lengthy end of a long session that turned out to be 24 hours. And so I'm kind of excited to come back and actually get to cover a session. That's right. We'll have a couple new lawmakers, two Durham lawmakers that were appointed. Um, that'll be one in the House and one in the Senate. That'll be in the session next week. Um, Colin, who's your headliner? I'm going with uh, random testing because uh, that's been a topic of conversation for several weeks. Senator Phil Berger's office has been really pushing for this uh, initially without a whole lot of success. Uh, but then last week, his office announced that they're helping fund a study at Wake Forest University that's going to conduct antibody testing to see how many people have uh, had coronavirus and not realized it or not gotten tested just to see sort of how prevalent this is in the population. There have been some similar studies done out in California that uh, seem to conclude that it's actually way more widespread than we think because a lot of people are getting, you know, no symptoms or mild symptoms, um, which would mean that if that proves to be the case, it's way more contagious than we thought, but also a bit less deadly, which is, I guess, good news and bad news. Um, but it won't be the only study going on in North Carolina because a couple days after the announcement about Wake Forest, um, the Department of Health and Human Services and the governor's office announced that they are partnering with UNC Duke and East Carolina on a similar sort of study. Um, I don't think they're using antibody testing as far as I can tell, uh, but also to sort of randomly sample the population over a period of time and see who's getting sick, who's not getting sick, who's got symptoms, who's not got symptoms, and what does it all mean? So. Hopefully, between all of that, we'll be seeing better data um, to uh, work off of and for leaders to make decisions off of in uh, terms of where we go uh, from here in coronavirus. All right, Will? Yeah, I've got to go with the reopen NC protests. Um, the protests themselves haven't been massive, but I mean, there have been you know several hundred people out there. And it's really been an interesting just discussion, kind of a civics lesson surrounding everything. I mean, you've got People, you know, talking about constitutional rights and, you know, emergency powers and how, you know, the media should balance talking about conspiracies versus more valid claims when, you know, there's kind of like this mixture of both uh, propelling this movement. You know, you have some people say, you know, oh, it's just all, you know, fake and astroturf, but then you also see the very real people who are out at these protests. And I, I think it's just been everything kind of surrounding that and the discussion over, you know, how much attention, you know, the protests deserve has been just a, a really interesting lesson in how journalism works and just in civics and the First Amendment and everything. And it's just been re really interesting for me, for someone who's kind of in the middle of it. So... It's always fascinating to me how some people uh, get really mad about people they strongly disagree with getting news coverage when a protest of the same size that is, you know, people they agree with, they're always mad that it's not getting enough news coverage. So I guess, you know, whatever we do, we can't win. I think it's been interesting that um, there's how much this crisis has shown common ground in a way of uh, who protests this versus your typical downtown Raleigh protester, uh, depending on what's going on. And I think people have made me surprise themselves or if they even want to admit uh, what they have uh, in common. Um, but, you know, who knows how, how soon all this will end. Um, a kind of note to our listeners, we appreciate sticking through, um, you all sticking through our, 
awkward audio and recording session. We are looking forward to not doing this remotely, um, just like everybody else is, but of course um, are also concerned about making sure that everyone um, avoids getting sick as well. The way we've done in the past with our headliner poll, it'll be on Twitter at Under the Dome and we'll retweet it if you all wanna go ahead and vote in our Twitter poll for which of our four ideas you think should be headliners. So thanks for listening, everybody. Um, I'm Don Vaughn for Danielle Battaglia, Colin Campbell, Will Doran. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com. 